Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. But before we get into the podcast, a word from the sponsors of this episode, Chargebee. Chargebee is the leading subscription billing platform that powers some of the best SaaS and subscription startups, such as Hopin, Spendesk, Livestorm, and Team Leader. The platform is particularly powerful for European startups to navigate complex issues such as tax compliances, invoicing, and billing regulations. The product also enables you to experiment with different pricing models and also to localize the pricing and checkout experiences. So check them out at chargebee.com. And now let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. Hydrogen is a clean fuel that, when consumed in a fuel cell, produces only water. These qualities make it an attractive fuel option for transportation and electricity generation applications. It can be used in cars, in houses, for portable power, and in so many more applications. However, there are still some barriers to the realization of the hydrogen-based economy, which includes large-scale hydrogen production costs, infrastructure investment, bulk storage, transportation, distribution, and safety considerations, amongst others. My guest today is Vidal Bharat, COO of Bramble. Bramble's on a mission to power a net-zero future. Bramble Energy has developed the unique patented-protected printed circuit board fuel cell or what they call PCBFC, that solves perhaps the greatest barriers to the adoption of fuel cells, manufacturing complexity, scale-up, and crucially, the costs. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about this cool technology, hearing about their journey, and some of the lessons that they've learned so far. Welcome to the show, Vidal. Hi, thanks for having me. I know that the initial concept for Bramble came when you and your co-founder, Tom, were researchers at UCL. What was the trigger? Maybe you can talk me through how you came about establishing Bramble. Yeah, sure. I will correct you just slightly there because I'm actually not a co-founder. I'm a founding employee. The co-founders of the technology are Tom Mason and uh, Professor Dan Brett and Professor Anthony Kushnak from UCL and Imperial, respectively. The idea behind the business was to find a way in which to make fuel cells that were accessible by everyone, a way in which to make low-cost fuel cells that were manufacturable, that meant that they could be applied to lots of different sectors and industries that typically might not have believed that fuel cells were an option for them because of their inherent cost and scalability issues. So how do you get something that is really important to achieving a net zero carbon economy into the hands of the people that actually need to use them? And that was the reason to form Bramble. So initially it was Tom and the other co-founders that worked on the idea. Then how did you actually meet them. The research project that Bramble was, was out of the same research group as I was at UCL. So the Electrochemical Innovation Lab, it's a hotbed for lots of different electrochemical research. And so you have lots of different types of PhDs going on, whether it's in batteries or fuel cells or redox flow batteries or imaging and all sorts of things like that. Tom and Dan and Anthony were working on this flexible fuel cell platform. And uh, that's how I got involved from the association with what they were doing. And when they needed to spin that out, they needed to have employees to do the work. That's how I came across it and had to get Tom to convince me to start working for him. From a technology standpoint, I can understand because you had a background in it and you kind of saw the potential of where this could go, but still being employee number one and the risks involved, not just from a 
technology and market perspective in terms of, is this going to be successful? Would this be a viable business? But even working with these people, you're not a co-founder, you're employee number one. What was the mental calculation you did when you said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to join as employee number one? I guess that speaks a bit to who I am, which is I quite like to do new things. I like to be on the cutting edge of new technology. I think that being in a startup is a scary environment, whether you are the owner, the employee number one or employee number five or 10 even. And being part of it meant that I could guide, along with Tom, how we move the business in a direction that was strategically to compete with people, compete with other fuel cell companies that have billions of pounds and dollars on their balance sheet. And how do you do that with a small company full of, at that point, two or three employees? And it worked, right? It's exciting. I, I, I like the challenge. And that was why I did it. It was, how can I have the greatest impact in achieving a net zero economy in the shortest period of time? And for me, that was to get involved in Bramble Energy and really drive my ambition to achieve net zero. And I was luckily able to do that because you're making the decisions as well. So if I had to summarize, the two things that helped you to make this decision is one, you kind of believed in the vision of the net zero economy, right? Hydrogen powered net zero economy. Yes. And two, by definition, you're a risk taker. So I think those two, your personality and the fact that you really believed in this vision of what these people were doing helped you to make the jump very easily. Yeah, I mean, I have a PhD in chemical engineering by training. My upbringing has meant that I've got a fairly good business acumen around me at all times. So I'm always looking for opportunities. And as a young person, wanted to have the greatest impact in the things I was passionate about. And that was, as I say, trying to get a net zero carbon economy. And hydrogen has for so long, as I say, been talked about as a massive solution in that problem. How could I not see that Bramble was going to be a major player in achieving that dream, that goal. And that's why I had to join. So you have three co-founders and you were the employee number one. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you organized yourselves in the beginning when it was just the four of you and then how you are organized now in terms of responsibilities. Dan and Anthony, who are professors at the universities, they weren't involved in the day-to-day operations of the business at all. They were very much advisory and they're really great for sounding boards for technology as well. But when it comes to running the business, it's been down to myself, Tom, and then Eric, who is our head of stack engineering at Pramble. Being three people, you do every single thing. You're the ones making the tea and sweeping the floors and making the decisions and doing the technology and doing all the designs. So we did a bit of everything. Initially, uh, Tom and Eric focused primarily on technology. And I also had a role in technology, but my primary responsibilities was in building the business, working with suppliers on the supply side and working with the consumers on the customer facing side. It's probably quite rare that you'd have people doing everything, but you have to when you're three people, right? If you're a founder in a business and you've got to do absolutely everything. Later, as we've grown up, we've been able to resource the team appropriately to bring in the financial part of the business. We've brought things that we had outsourced like payroll and things back in-house. We've now got a chief product officer who runs the product side of things. We've got a a VP of BizDev who's coming in shortly, who's going to take on the customer-facing relationships. I still deal with the suppliers. And as we've resourced as the business, even on the heads-off department, we've got people who are now in charge of the technology from every component to the installation. And that's helped a lot because what we're doing now is predominantly guiding, getting stuck in and sticking our face into things and causing trouble, no doubt, but getting stuck in with with the team, but they're the ones doing the, the, the work. We're still ultimately accountable for those yeah. operations or in respective operations of the business, but we plan everything 
like engineers. So we had an org chart that we were going to try and fill out. And we've got great people in different roles that's meant that they can take strain off certain areas for us, but we are accountable for how those things get delivered. I have been interviewing a lot of companies that have come from this academia and then have become companies in their own right. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder, when is the right time to spin out as a separate entity from the research base that you're coming from? It's actually a really tricky question. And every company and every person is going to be different. I think for us, it was easy to stay and have an idea, form it, incubate it at the universities, stay under the wing of the universities. But remember that you're also giving up valuable time to market when you're doing that. The UK government's really good at giving you grants and it's, it's a really invaluable way to get money into your company to do some interesting stuff, often with a end purpose, which is always good. And that often leads to some form of customer relation or relationship, which is good. But quite often what you need to do is you need to jump out of the boat a little bit and start swimming because until you know what real life customers think of your product... You don't really know if it's going to be viable or not. And I think that the risk there is high, but the reward is even higher. So each individual that's running that company or the individuals running that company need to come to that decision themselves. But I, th- I think it, it can be easy to stick with grant funding and stay in the universities. But my advice would be grab the bull by the horns and look to get that first set of funding, get some investor feedback as well. So when you go out to get that first set of funding, you get an understanding of whether or not you're playing in the right market, whether you're playing in the right sport, frankly, because the investors get to see things in those markets, those industries, those sectors all the time. So they have really good insight into whether this is a viable product or not. The sooner you know that, the better, because it can mean that you can either adapt or you're onto a winner or it's probably not going to happen. You spun out and then you looked for funding or you got funding and then you spun out? In the process of spinning out, you will attract lots of people who want to give you money. And it's about choosing the right partners to do that with. You can have lots of angel investors who are individuals who've got high net values or high net worths, or you might get um, institutional investors, but you will also get an idea of what is required to get to the next step. Especially if you go for someone like institutional investors, they will give you milestones to achieve to get to either the round of funding you're looking for, or they may fund you and say, let's give you a small amount of money and let's get you to the next stage. But to do that, you're going to need to get to X, Y, or Z milestones. And that's how you get to becoming a fully fledged, even bigger entity. So I would say having the right investors is incredibly important into how your company functions and the strategic goals of your company. Yeah, I think that's a really important point of discussion that I'd like to go a little bit further in, which is when it comes to deep tech and unproven technology, like what you were trying to do, first of all, how do you find the right investors? And then having gone through this process now, maybe you can talk about your funding journey and give some insight in terms of what investors are looking for at each stage. Maybe you can describe what is needed for this type of unproven technology from an investor perspective. How you find investors is through networks, typically. There are some investors that people are aware of, deep tech investors for early stage companies, people like IP Group and Parkwalk and the UCL Tech Fund and Albion, people like what we had when we first started off. But equally, you have the high net worths as well, who are people who are angel investors, and they can come from anywhere. You can do a show, you can do a trade show, you can do a video, you can go to an event, and you will tend to find these people because their business is in networking to look for investment opportunities. So the more you can get out there and talk about what you're doing, the more likely you're going to get 
the investors come to you. Most university incubation spaces always have some form of event or some form of network for investors. I'm not necessarily saying that that's the best option, but often you find that you have to go to a lot of these events. You have to kiss a few frogs before you find the prince you're looking for, I guess, in terms of an investor. And it's really important that you choose the right investor. You can't just go for the first person who offers you money. The more exposure you have, the better. Often that might cost money to do certain things like that, but there's always funding available from governments and even from the university incubation spaces that will allow you to get to those steps. What about the second part of the question, which is what are investors looking for at the different stages that you've been through when you're looking for funding? Every investor is different, of course, and they'll all be looking for different things. So the earliest investors will be looking for the management team and the the founders of the technology or founding employees even, and what they're about, whether they have the credibility. Is the idea good? Is the market big enough? What is the strategy? Those are the really important things. And then as you grow the company, then achieving certain technical milestones will be important. Then achieving commercial milestones is the next step. And I think that's a pretty good grasp of how things go from the very beginning to up to where we are now. So now you have some cool technology, you've got some money, and now comes the hard part. How do you translate that into a viable business? What did you do when you got this money? If we go from our round A investment, which was, we went from three people squatting at UCL and then moving to our CEO's garage during COVID to closing our funding round in July of last year. And then to today being 25 people in our own facility in Gatwick with a hydrogen safe lab downstairs, offices upstairs where I'm here today. And you would be shocked to know that once you've got the money, you don't really stand there to think about it too much because there's so much to do. One really good thing that Tom and I did when we were raising the funds was we planned everything to within an inch of its life. And that was partly due to COVID because we were both working from home and we spent a lot of time working on the fundraise. The due diligence period took a lot of time as well. And we got so used to doing the documentation that we we pushed it even a bit further. And we made sure that we knew everything that we were going to buy down to the plant behind me before we'd even closed the funding. It it all happens very quickly. It's just been over a year since we've closed our round A. It's amazing to think what we've achieved. You've just got to systematically work through that list. And it goes from everything from facility to hiring to the technology you've got to get through, all the work you've got to do for your board and customers and interactions. It's a long list of things. Did you all just split it amongst yourself in terms of who will do what? How did you operationalize all this stuff that you had on plans? Tom and I have both set up hydrogen safe labs in the past. So we had a good grounding on what we were going to do there. In terms of the technology, we run our company like engineers. It's very systematic. That means plan it, execute it. And and that's how we run it. That's helped us a lot because there is an enormous amount to do. But Hiring good people early on, leaning on resources from uh, investors has always helped as well. And that's got us to where we are today. We talked about strategy and planning and all the stuff that you did when you were doing the fundraise. And then you talked about day-to-day operational stuff like hiring and facilities. How do you balance your time in terms of operational day-to-day stuff and also making sure that you're constantly thinking about the strategy. That's an excellent question. And I hope other people find this useful because this is a really difficult balance to strike. When you're building a company as quickly as we have, you can get really caught up in the operational side of things, getting the facility, getting the people, getting the technology out, getting customers, all these sort of interactions, dealing with investors. But you also have to keep in mind on what's next. That's where the strategy comes in. 
And it's easy to get caught up in just the day-to-day operation and not take a step back and look holistically at where you started, where you are, where you want to be. And you also have to be looking at the market. You have to be looking at the sectors and the industries you're planning to target and what how they're moving as well, right? Because it's not just the fuel cell industry that's moving. It's the like commercial vehicles, the portable power, the stationary power. You've got to be looking at all of this. And one thing that Tom and I did from the beginning, which was really important, is we set aside time every week to make sure that we're spending time on strategy. You cannot run a business successfully without spending time looking at how you're going to go forward. It can't just be the day-to-day operation. When there's lots to do, sometimes that feels as we can't do this today because we've got too much to do about this. And sometimes you can't do it, but you always have to find time because if you don't, then, well, you're doomed to fail, I think. So was it like an hour a week like that you used for this? Probably a little more than that, actually. You need more time than that because the amount of information that we gather on a day-to-day basis needs to be collated and discussed because we're we're getting information from all over the place. It helps that we're bringing in and we have brought in more executive power to the team to complement what we do. And they come from different backgrounds as well. So they're coming with their own information, which is really helpful. But we probably look at doing... I'd say up to five hours a week on that. And as we're now ramping towards a round B fundraise, it's even more because of course we're writing all the IMs as well as the market research in order to back up the facts and and the technology. Do you focus on any specific topics when you're doing these sessions or do you touch on a lot of different areas, like special topics? It can be variable on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis. You might be looking at industry news for one time that we're, we're having a chat and be look at who's done what in the industry, look at who's raised this money. You might be looking at who signed a big deal with the you know, JV with the OEM or a tier one. But it could also be, look at this person's just joined working for this company and isn't that interesting because what does that mean for this and looking at from all angles. Tell me, if I had to ask you, of all the things that you have accomplished so far with Bramble, what are you most proud of doing? I'll give you two answers to that. The first answer will be, on a technology point of view, from where we were this time last year to where we are today is surreal. We're about to have a product launch soon with the Portable Power products. And later this month, in about 12 days' time, we're launching our first demonstrate a vehicle powered by Bramble fuel cells. If someone had offered me this a year ago, I would have absolutely bitten your arm off because to go from a liquid cool technology, which was very much in its infancy to in a vehicle being demonstrated in collaboration with Marla Powertrain at Senex, that for me is unbelievable. And that's testament to how well we've hired people, the engineering prowess that we've got. Tom's commitment on, as a CTO to making sure that we, we drive that home has been amazing and on both sides, the product and also on the vehicle demonstrator. For me personally, what I'm most proud about is our culture. I really care about how people feel about working for us. And I love that. I don't think I've ever had anybody turn me down to work for us, which is great. And we've recruited from with recruiters as well as through our networks as, and uh, through general LinkedIn adverts, et cetera. But we've built a culture at the business that people enjoy working really hard for us, working uh, because it's not working for us, it's working for them as well. Everybody shares in a little bit of equity as part of that. And I love the culture that we've created because it's essentially the culture we had when there was three of us and it scaled really well to the 25. And hopefully as we scale to 125, it will be the same. Can you anyway codify how you've thought about building this high performance culture within the company? We spend a lot of time working with every single person who works for us. And I know that that becomes unachievable as you grow to being an even bigger company. But I think that what we've done is we've laid foundations and roots throughout the business as it stands now that hopefully will 
germinate through as we grow even further. When I've asked this question to some entrepreneurs, they said a lot of building or maintaining the culture that you want, a lot of it has to do with the type of people you recruit because they are what the culture is. How do you think about hiring? Or what do you look for to try and find that culture that you want to build within your company? I actually think that culture starts at the top. And I think that the amount of time that the management and the senior members of the Bramble team spend with the incoming employees is really important so that they get an idea of what we're like, so that they understand a little bit of what's expected of them. When we hire, we're always looking for the best people. You're looking for someone who's high energy. Experience is really important. Degrees are really important, but it's all about the person. And that's the most important thing. And I'd say to anyone hiring anyone or anyone looking to get a job and you're interviewing for someone, it's about your enthusiasm and you've got to share in the company's values. For us, that's sustainability and powering net zero. And that goes from everything that we do. It's not just the fuel cells that we make and sell. It's the toilet paper that we use or the coffee pods that get recycled every day. Those things are really important. And when it comes to hiring, it's exactly the same. You hire people who you know they're going to bring up your IQ in some way or another, whether that's their energy, whether it's what things that they've done in the past or what you just think that they could do. When you're hiring, whether deliberately or intuitively, are you looking for people that you gel with or are you looking more for the expertise first and foremost, even if they're not your type of people that maybe you'd hang out with, but they have the expertise? Like, how do you balance those two? Actually, I've interviewed every single person that works for us personally. (laughs) And I know that that's not something I can do long-term, but that has helped massively because the first interview that anybody has with us is about a culture fit. And it's, seeing how they're going to react in certain scenarios. Tom and I often joke about the airport test. You know, if your plane is delayed by four hours and you've got to sit in the terminal with someone, could you spend four hours with that person? Because that's a real life situation that you, well, assuming we're all allowed to fly again freely one day, that is a real life situation that you might find yourself in. And that isn't about so much just the sitting in the, in the terminal. It's about, can you work with someone and can you communicate effectively with that person? And as I say, that goes for every single person in the company. And that's so important that I can't stress enough. We tend to look for diamonds in the rough when we're looking for jobs and then see how we can mold to fit into certain roles. I know that to every rosy and amazing accomplishment, there have been obviously really hard times and challenges and things that could have gone differently. And perhaps you learn more even from those than from what you've accomplished. Are there other things that have happened as you've grown Bramble that have been really challenging or that have been mistakes that you would do differently now looking back? Yeah, almost certainly. I won't touch on anything specifically, but I'll say that when you're building at the pace that we've built, you're going to have things that when you look back at might not be exactly the way you want to, to have gone. But at the same time, I think that each of those experiences have been a a teaching moment for for us because you can't learn those things unless you've experienced it. When we were hiring initially, we hadn't hired anyone for the business when we were hiring the first person. You learn a lot through that experience. You learn about the processes. And often you don't put processes or certain things in place until you've learned the lesson that meant that you've had to. When it came to HR, something that we had to put in place as we went because we were learning things as we went along. And what's really important in scenarios like that is to lean on people who've got expertise, uh, whether that's consultants or investors or uh, friends and family close to the business. 
because they can guide you in the right direction. They might not be able to take you all the way there, but they can certainly guide you. That's probably something I would definitely recommend. Try and keep your friends and family and colleagues close so that they can guide you on that journey. But we don't have every single person that works for us today that started on the journey a year ago. People want different things. You want different things. It's just part of running a business. When we first started hiring people, I'd had an HR consultant who actually lives very near to me, give me some advice. And she said, you will have 25% of the staff you hire within the first year leave. And luckily for us, we're nowhere near that. But you know, the first person who does leave is always a bit heartbreaking. Okay. What's next? What are you guys doing now? Tell me a little bit about where you're thinking of taking Bramble. The next step for us is really exciting as we raise our Series B funding. We've got even more ambitious plans, which um, might seem ridiculous. Building up our team to over 100 people. And we've got some really cool technology coming out in, and in the works in both the portable sphere as well as in the motive applications as well. Excellent. Vidal, before I let you go, I have this rapid round that I do with founders. Um, and my first question is an easy one, which is, what's your favorite book? Is there any book that you've read that's really made an impression that you would recommend others to read? Yes. Shoe Dog by Philip Knight, the guy who founded Nike, is my favorite book. What about a productivity tool? Oh, do you know what? I run our entire business on WhatsApp. And um, I know that's not technically a productivity tool. I would have said it would be the unproductivity tool. No, it really works. And it really works because what we've done is, as part of the culture build we've done, we've kept so much of what we do informal, whilst having the formal side of things as well. Sometimes someone wants to ask you a question that seems inappropriate to ask you formally by email. And then being able to WhatsApp you makes a massive difference. And, and I will still stick with my answer that WhatsApp's my favorite productivity tool. And what's your favorite European city? London, of course. I live in London and every time I walk around it, I find something brand new. I love it. And a favorite quote, either yours or someone else's that you repeat to yourself or to your employees? My favorite quote, well, one that I definitely say to my employees is punch today in the face. Nice. Is there anything else I should have asked about you or Bramble that I haven't asked? I, I think actually I'd say uh, something that's really important is you have to love what you do. For me, and I know for the people around me, we work way too hard and way too long hours, but it's absolutely worth it because we love what we do. I would not do a different job because I love the day-to-day. -day. I love the challenges and how often they change into different challenges depending on the day of the week that it is. We recently had our summer party after the COVID lockdowns ended and we took everybody out go-karting and then we had a barbecue behind the office. And, you know, as it was sort of end of daytime, it was amazing that absolutely nobody left and everybody just stuck around and we had a great time. People sitting in the car park on pallets and that was where you sort of realize how enjoyable what you're doing. What we do is hard work. And I, I know I've said that a few times, but what you need to do is be willing to be on the ride. And that goes from every employee, from Tom, the CEO, down to the lowest person in the company or whatever it may be. It's about being part of that journey. And it's about having that internal desire to change the world. And that's ultimately what drives people to do what we do. Nice. I like that. I think we'll end on that note. Thank you so much, Vidal, for joining me on this lovely summer day in London, all the way from Crawley. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation and I wish you all the best and look forward to hearing more about Bramble. Thanks, Anita. Lovely to be on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. 
Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep building. 